With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Doris Anayi is having quite the year. She has pivoted from her work as a music talent manager, where she made a splash in the industry with acts like Cuco and La Doña, to launching herself as a singer and songwriter. She's also the protagonist of a new, much-buzzed-about documentary, Mija, that examines what it looks like to take big risks and how those risks are even more complicated when your family is mixed status. Doris and I talk about what it required to make this huge leap into the next phase of her artistry, how she resisted the pull towards security, and what it means to approach the work with a heart of service. Doris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I want to talk about how you started in music, which is a little bit different than what you're doing now. I mean, you you seem like you knew that this was the industry you wanted to be a part of, but you didn't enter as an artist. You entered as a manager. And it's my understanding that that's because those opportunities were really coming to you and then you were excelling at those opportunities. What were those opportunities that were coming your way? Yeah, I mean, where I really, really started with music, if we want to go way back, was like since birth. (laughs) You know, I I was born into a family of musicians and I was raised with tios and tias that were worship leaders. So I was like raised singing in the church since I was a baby. And it wasn't until college that I went and studied like musical theater. And then I went and figured out that wasn't really it for me. And then I studied communications and then I got a job on campus booking shows from my university. And that's when I started meeting agents and managers and indie bands that I was into that were coming up in like LA, Orange County to play, you know, now at my university. And eso es cuando me estaba como ubicando, you know? Like when you're first trying to like get into any industry, I feel like estás like super like norteada, like you don't know where to start or where to go. Yeah, my first internship ever in the music industry was an artist management internship. 
And then I just started putting myself out there to intern everywhere under the sun before I graduated. And then my first gig out of college was tour managing. And then when that ended, that's when I started my own management company. During the pandemic, we're all home. We're doing a lot of thinking in our homes about who we are, who we want to be. That thinking takes you down a really big path. Tell me about sort of, was it a moment? Was it a series of moments? How did this pivot start to come to you? It was definitely a series of moments throughout 2020. I think a few weeks into the pandemic was when like my biggest client and I parted ways and the music industry shut down like almost immediately after the pandemic really like sank in and we realized how long we were going to be in this, you know? And I had to just sit with myself. It hit me like a delayed reaction in the summer of 2020 when the world was on fire. Everyone was protesting. The tension was in the air. And, you know, I'm quite open about this online. And like the film scratches the surface a bit on this, but like toque fondo when it came to like my mental health, you know, and it really became a moment of survival for me. And so I... I logged off the world, you know, I, I like deactivated and disappeared and lived with my brother in Baja California for a few months just so I could heal. Can you tell me though, Doris, how did you know that you were burnt out? Oh my God, my body was screaming, my mind was screaming, like I didn't feel healthy nor happy anymore. You know, I deal with anxiety, I deal, I deal with bouts of depression, but this was different. This was like a, my body was like crying for help and... It wasn't until I went down to Baja and and got to spend that like quality time with like my brother and like my mom really took care of me and like I had this like beautiful moment and La Bufadora and Ensenada and it was like June gloom and and I went down to the water and you know they talk about how mystical these waters are and like for those who don't know there's only like four in the world it's like a wonder of the world and and one happens to be in Baja. The waters have like healing properties to like recalibrate you if you need. Like people travel to these waters. And I had no idea <laughs> because we didn't really get to go to Mexico that much growing up. And so when I was there, the water just like <laughs> like baptized me basically. Like I had no idea how far up the water was gonna shoot and then like basically drenched me. But then shortly after that, like the sun came out and a few minutes after that, I got an email from USC offering me a fellowship with their Annenberg Innovation Lab. And it was going to be a cohort of like 16 beautiful, brilliant minds that are at the intersect of media and social impact. And they really held me through the pandemic. That's when I started reconnecting with being creative. And there was a talk given to us about self-care. And the first point was how pivots in your career sustain your wellness. And it really clicked in that moment that I had to close my management company, really close that chapter with the last artist that I was managing and start a new one. And then what I like about your story is like the real world cuts in real fast where you get offered a full-time job in the music industry. And I have to say, you know, I value safety. I value security. There is a lot about your own life that would allow me to believe that you have needed to value those things as well. Of course. So I have to imagine there was like, it was a hard choice not to just jump right into that. Oh my God, of course. I mean, I'm a provider. I'm the youngest in my family, but I'm the one who takes care of those things that 
I think a lot of kids of immigrants can relate to this, you know? And so, yeah, once people found out I wasn't managing anymore, all these record labels started hitting me up and, and then other opportunities started opening up to me. And it was like a balance of like simultaneously while I was figuring out, like negotiating my next possible full-time job in the industry, still continuing like the music executive route. All these doors started opening up for me to express myself as an artist. And it just, it was this crossroads I've never been presented with ever. And it was the hardest decision I ever had to make. But, you know, when I was about to start Mihal Management and I really dive into like my entrepreneurial phase of life, I was also presented with a full-time job in like the publishing world in the music industry. And my gut told me that that wasn't meant for me and that I was meant to start my own business. And at the end of the day, my team, et cetera, like all the signs were presenting to that, like I couldn't sign on to this full-time job because I was then given all the signs to follow this path. But, you know, I didn't want to disappoint people. I didn't want to disappoint myself in the process either. But it felt like if not now, then then when, you know, and it wasn't until like I had a really wise sit down with like someone I consider to be one of my mentors and amazing producer, composer. And like Camilo Lara, he was like, like, I already see your trajectory is going to end creative, but just don't take as long as I did. Hmm. You know, and so that's that's what I had in the back of my head. I'm like, don't take as long as I did. OK, <laughs> like, OK, OK, OK. And it wasn't until... November of last year, where I had to make a very difficult decision to turn down a full-time job with salary and the whole thing, to then really launch myself as an artist and think that I can still be of service and open doors to other artists in my own career as an artist myself, you know, and not deny myself of that opportunity to finally express myself and I felt like once I finally said yes to that, every door started opening. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. 
at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. You have that conversation with Camilo. You also begin to sort of work on some music together. And it's my understanding that that's how your first single, Que Su Frase, is born. Yes. Te gusta el olor. Que sufras, pues. Que Danny Murcia, Ex Mañana, produced the project, and he was a really dear friend in the pandemic for me. And during the time of the fellowship, I was given homework to assign myself a studio day a week. And Danny was down, and so we recorded demos, but ahí llegó, you know? I was just like, let me just record these demos of these songs that I've written over the years. So you're writing both the lyrics and the music? The music was in collaboration. The The lyrics and the melody are all me, but... Yeah, there's songs that had been living in my voice notes for years from like a jam session with one person and then with another person like over the last four years or so. And so Que Sufras didn't become a demo until like fall of 2020. And then summer 2021, when I was sitting down with Camilo, he's like, well, are you writing anything? And I was like, well, I do have this demo. And then I showed him Que Sufras. And that's when he was like, can I contribute to this? And that's when I was like, oh, Doris, this is the push. <laughs> this is the push. And even then I sat in the song for, ooh, first, you know, till February 2022, this year, I didn't release it, you know, because it took me a lot of time to really make the decision to like, okay, let me put out this one song and see what happens. And then everything happened. Right, which is also funny to me because sometimes those of us who take that tack do it from a place of like, We'll see what happens. I'm not going to put everything I know I would need to put into this thing to make it happen. So it's kind of amazing. <laughs> do, like I, I'm actually like to our listeners, I'm like, do not take Doris's story as an example. It's not. <laughs> I know. I, I am. I am the anomaly. I am the exception to the rule. And that's the same thing that I would say about Kuko, you know, and his meteoric rise. From him going from backyards to U.S. major festivals and international within a year and change, that doesn't happen to everyone, you know? But, like, on my end, I've been working in the music industry for almost 10 years. So everything that's happening for me now is because groundwork was laid, you know? And thankfully, the people that were champions for my artists when I was representing them are now champions for me, too. I'm definitely not... (laughs) I'm definitely an exception to the rule. I'm definitely, like when there's like divine intervention and some people are just chosen. Since I was a little girl, I've felt that notion that I was chosen. 
for something bigger, for something that not everyone gets to experience. And I think since everything that has happened with the film and the music and my life in general in the last few years has been living proof of that manifestation. I hope that my life can just be an example of how to dream and how to hold on to hope. But my journey is definitely not, like, it's not linear <laughs> at all, at all, at all. No, this is all set against the backdrop of the reality of your family, which is, as you said, you are the provider, you are the retirement plan, you are everything. And I think something that your story complicates, Doris, is, you know, like, I have lots of friends who are or were undocumented, and they are journalists, lawyers, doctors, whether because they wanted to or because there was that push to you need to do something that is going to be secure, something on which you're going to be able to provide. So your story is like, it's different. Yeah. How did you come to terms with that with your parents? And how did you come to terms with that with yourself? I think I had to come to terms with it with myself first to then come to the table with my parents and be like, okay, que vamos a hacer, you know? Because like, since I was a little girl, I knew the pressure that I was under and it was made very clear to me by my oldest brother. I'll never forget it. And he like grilled this into my brain. He's like, you have the key to this country and it's called a social security number. Don't mess it up. You know, don't take that for granted. And so since I was a little girl, like my drama response was like overachieving, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to do anything possible to like, get into college. That was like my first goal right there that I felt like college was going to be my my way out. Then when I was in college, my brother was deported. And that's when I had to then come to terms with my parents. Like, yeah, we've been living in the shadows my whole life, but like, I need to say something. Like, I need to do something. Like, this deportation was unjust. I need to raise money. I need to fight for his case. Like, something, you know? Because before that, actually... My brother was detained by ICE, and that's the first time that I, like, fundraised to try to bail him out. Because my brother was two when he came to this country. He was 29 when he was removed. That's when my parents and my brothers were like, Savaske, like, you know, use your networks to what you need. If you want to help us, and like, we'll receive the help. And that's where it really started. And it wasn't until, like, 2017 when the previous administration came into power and fear-mongering was heard on the airwaves, on the television, etc., that's when I felt like I had to really take matters into my own hands and raise funds for my parents' safety and their security because they were in legal limbo for 30 plus years. And so that's when I started to like put on concerts to raise funds for their legal services. And then it was a snowball effect from there. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. You say that you have felt since you were a child that you were called to this, which I think also has imbued in it a sense that this work is still service work. Yeah. And that there is still, as you said, meaning that extends beyond you as an individual. Do you have a sense of what that call to service is? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't necessarily prescribe to the church that I was raised in, but I am still very much aligned with coming to the table with the heart of service wherever you go. And especially like sharing your light with those who need it most. I'm very much rooted in that. Everything that I ever do is an opportunity to like pay it forward or to like speak to a younger version of myself that really needed it. If the film was really, if it was just about like me, I'd be like, oh no, <laughs> like, but why, you know? But the fact that the film was about my family and a whole movement and we're one of millions that have that lived experience, it felt like a part of my purpose, a part of my duty, a part of the calling that I'm just a vessel to like tell this story. When I was a little girl, I was so obsessed with people's like testimonies at church when like they were able to like sobresalir, to survive. Like, you know, a lot of immigrants go to church, right? That was a lot of the churches that I was raised in. It was a lot of fresh immigrants in this country. And a lot of their testimonies were rooted in how they came from El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua. These churches were like a melting pot of that. And so I just felt like, okay, one day, all these hardships that we're going through is just going to be a testimony for other people to see themselves in and know to like not give up. So yeah, everything that I do is very much rooted in in that purpose and that service of that as scary it is sharing my story, as fear-based as it is to feel quote-unquote embarrassed for taking up space, etc. I know that it's like for a larger purpose that's beyond me. It's for millions of others that, that look like me or like have a shared experience as I do that need that. Doris, what did I miss? Since I was a little girl, I knew that I was meant to dream big. I think of that like Selena scene where she's looking at the moon and I really internalized that as a little girl. And I would look at the moon not knowing the power of manifestation and just really gearing my thoughts towards getting out of our current situation and being able to help my family along the way. Like we're all getting out of this. I was very fortunate to have parents that were like supportive of me being creative. And I know that's not a traditional immigrant parent scenario, but thank God for for that. And I encourage any other immigrant parents to like follow that route because it allowed me to get to where I am today. But yeah, when I was in middle school, I like went ham on my room and my parents let me paint on my walls. And I remember on the back of my door, I like painted my hands and I wrote underneath it, these are the hands of Doris Anay Muñoz and they're gonna touch the hearts of millions. I know that when I was in middle school, I didn't know how. <laughs> I really didn't know how, but I knew I was. And I've always been rooted in that. And I never really shared that too outwardly because it sounds kind of, I mean, I guess it could come across kind of funky, you know? I wish people would stand in that purpose and like shout their purpose really loud like that, where I was in middle school when I wrote that. And unbeknownst to me, if I knew what I knew now, at that age, I'd have been like, oh yeah, it was what you were meant to do. Those dreams and seeds that were planted to you as like a little girl, as a preteen, et cetera, like those are meant for you to like go and do. All the fear stuff is just conditioned to us because of adulthood and like our teenage years that come along the way and knock us down. But, you know, I hope that people can, can look back at their earliest memories or things that sparked joy in them or made them feel very sure in what they were doing as a kid. And like, remember that's probably like what they're meant to do on this planet. So 
that's really all purpose is. And I hope people follow it. Doris, I don't know about anybody else, but this was the conversation that I needed today. So thank you so much for showing up and being so present. Of course. I'm just a vessel, you know? So thank you for connecting with that and reflecting such a beautiful conversation. I needed this today too. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Florence Burrow Adams mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or wherever you're listening right now. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.